Job chapter 9, verse 29 reads this way. Since I am already found guilty, why should I struggle in vain? Even if I washed myself with soap and had my hand and, and, and my hands with clean cleansing, wow, can't read tonight, and my hands with cleansing powder, you would plunge me into a slime pit so that even my clothes would detest me. Job seems to be in kind of a situation at the moment. He says, he says, why, since I know that I'm guilty, why even try? Because I know that if I wash myself with soap, if I, if I wash my hands, it's not going to matter because you're just going to throw me into a slime pit to where I would be insulted by the clothes I'm wearing. Usually it's other people that are insulted by the clothes we're wearing and we think they're cool. But thank God some people let us know that the clothes we're wearing are insulting. Like Kelly, when I was growing up and when I was in youth group and I was wearing stonewashed uh, tight, tight jeans before skinny jeans were cool. They weren't really, I wasn't trying to be cool. I was just had outgrown these jeans and I wore them. They were like high water, stonewashed black jeans. And Kelly said to me, those, those are ugly. You should never wear those pants again. Thank God that somebody told me my clothes were insulting. But this is the point where he says, even my, even my clothes would detest me. Verse 32, he is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. He wanted to sue God. If only there were someone to mediate between us. This is the key verse that I really want you to hear tonight. If only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. So he, he realizes that there is a difference, there is a distinction, there is a separation between him and God. And he says, I need a mediator to come and bring us together. Someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it, is now, as it now stands with me, I cannot. As it now stands with me, I cannot. The title of tonight's message is, If Only, If Only. Go ahead and write that on the top of your notebooks. Uh, type that into your phones or however you choose to be taking notes tonight. If Only. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you so much. We're so thankful, God, for your grace and your mercies. And I pray that you would help us, God, to fall so deeply and madly in love with you that it would change us from the inside out, that it would cause us, God, to become more like you, to represent you to our world so that people could see that there's something different about us, God. Lord, we love you and thank you for your word. And now as we examine your word, as we, as we take apart this, this small speech that Job has in, in the middle of his book, I pray, Lord God, that you would, would help us not to see traditions, laws, and rules taught by men, but I pray that you would teach us to see the beautiful face of our Savior, King Jesus. And God, I pray that as we see him, we'd become more like him so that we could represent him to the world. We love you and thank you. We do this all in your name and for your glory. And everybody said, and everybody said, yeah. amen. I, uh, I, I, I don't want to admit this, but... Uh, I was not a perfect child, um, and many times growing up, many of you know that I have three, I actually have five brothers, but I have three brothers that I grew up with, um, and many times growing up, uh, me and my brothers, like I said, I'm a little ashamed to admit this, but we would, we would get in fights, and uh, 
oftentimes for, for some of the most ridiculous things. And if you have brothers and you play video games, you, you know that this is a classic start to a brother throwdown. If you would get kicked off the video game or if it, your turn was up, then you would have to resort to this very classic move. And if you've got brothers, you already know what I'm talking about. As you walk out of the room, you hit the reset button on the video game as fast as you can and run away. Just because you can't play anymore, they should have to start over. They, get, they don't get a start from where you're at. They don't get a go from where you are. But, it, but many times fighting with your brothers, the nice thing about fighting with your brothers is especially, you know, Jake knew this more than the rest of us, but if you're fighting with your brothers, um, you could always run to mom or run to dad if they were chasing you with a steak knife of some, some sort of blunt object. Uh, you could always run to mom and dad and you could go to mom and dad and you could say, mom, dad, they're going to kill me. And you'd rush into the room and put the weapon of choice behind your back and be like, we weren't going to kill him. We weren't going to kill him. We were going to make him wish he was dead. Well, you don't say that. You just think that. Uh, and Jake and, and, Jake and you, you're looking at Jake and he knows the second mom and dad leave, he, he's a dead man. But, but, but in that moment, at that time, it's always nice when you're fighting with someone who you're on a level playing field with, someone who you're equal to, it's always nice to run to mom and dad. Because mom and dad can be your salvation. Mom and dad can save you if you feel like this is maybe a fight that you can't win. And so you'd run to them. But, but I, I really sometimes had issues, especially as I started getting into my teenage years. And I started realizing, uh, I started becoming more intellectual and, and, and much more educated. And, and I started realizing that uh, my parents did not know everything. And I reached the conclusion at about 13 that not only did my parents not know everything, my parents didn't know anything. And so uh, as it started, it, uh, when I was younger, I would always fight with my brothers who were equals. But what do you do and where do you turn to and where do you go when you're fighting with someone who you're not on the same level as? So if your parents are the one that you're fighting with, who do you go to? I mean, you, you, you call CSD? Is that what you're going to do? I know some of you guys have threatened your parents with that and you shouldn't do that. That's rude and disrespectful. I didn't even know what CSD was growing up. I just told my parents, I'm going to call the police. And they're like, call the police. They can take you away. I don't care. You know, that's what my parents were like. But, but, but some of you guys are like, I'll go to CSD. I'll, I'll tell the government. I don't call the president. But who do you go to? Like when it's your brothers, it's easy. You just run off to mom and dad and they'll protect you. But who do you run to when, you're, when your argument, when your fight is with one of your parents, with, when it's with somebody who's not on the same level as you are, it's easy to fight with peers, but, but, but what about fighting with someone who you know is above you? It's written in the Bible, therefore it is true that your parents have authority over you. That rhymes, I didn't even need, mean to make it do that, but, but it's true. So who do you go to? Who do you, who do you run to when you... When you have a complaint or have something you want to lodge against somebody who is a superior to you. This is kind of the argument, kind of we get into the middle of Job's speech, as it were, when he kind of feels like he's been a little bit wronged by God. And he, uh, he, 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 he realizes very quickly and understands uh, as he's making in the middle of his little speech, he realizes really quickly that, you know what, I'm not on the same 
level as God is. I'm not at the same place. God is higher than I am. Now, in our postmodern culture, we have done everything that we can do to try and push equality, okay? And, and I have nothing against equality. I don't think that people should be persecuted or made fun of because of their, their race or their gender or even their creed. I don't think that you should do that. But, but, but sometimes this equality message has sunk in to the point where now we're no longer just trying to say that all men are created equal, but that all men are equal with their creator, and this is a message that, that, that is so often coming down and being, being told to us. In our schools, we're told that there is no God and you must believe in evolution. You must accept evolution as, as scientific fact. And if you don't believe that, then you're just a, you're just a hard-headed Christian. And you, you must accept this is scientific and you must accept it. And that's just the way it is. And that there really is no God and that, that, that he doesn't exist. And then there's the more, the more bombastic claims, the, the bigger claims, the more obvious claims of the, of, of the pothead downtown Eugene who, who says, we're all gods. All of us are gods. And we, we all exercise God-like uh, abilities and characteristics. And, and, and that can be easily and quickly disproved when you say that it, by definition, God is all-knowing and you're not, so therefore, you're not him. Uh, by definition, God is all-powerful, and you're not, so therefore, you're not him. By definition, God is everywhere, and you're not, so you're not him. That, that, that one is easy to, to disprove. One of the ones that I think, and this one kind of is trying to have an undercurrent in modern, postmodern Christian churches today, uh, we, we say stuff like this, that, that all truth is relative, that, that there is no absolute truth, that all truth is relative to a certain situation, and uh, there, there's nothing that's absolute. There's no absolute truth, and, and, and I just have to say, can, can we stop? It, it, is, it is amazing, the statistics that show, uh, you know, they, they do these statistics, people are coming out of church and they ask people, hey, just, just out of curiosity, do you believe that, that, that what's true is you is true for everyone? Do you believe that there is such a thing as absolute truth? It's amazing that people coming out of modern churches today in America, the statistic is like 67% of people said, we do not believe that what's true for me is true for others. We don't believe in an absolute truth. Yet they just sat and listened to the word of God preached to them and if this is not absolutely true, if the word of God is not absolutely true, then we, we are wasting our time. If every single scripture in the Bible is not completely 100% the truth and fact, then we are wasting our times. If you say, well, I believe most of the Bible, but there's things that I've had experiences with, and so I believe a lot of the Bible, but I don't believe all of the Bible. Listen, it's, it's not like a buffet where you can pick and choose. It's you, you order and you eat what you get, man. It's, it's dinner at grandma's house, okay? Is anybody else's grandma like my grandma? Where men, what, what they put in front of you, you eat that because they survived the depression and so you eat everything that's on your plate. It does not matter. That's, that's how my grandparents were. It's not like a buffet where I can pick and choose the parts of the Bible that I want to do. It's all or nothing. It, it, it's, it's everything. And, and if it is not 100% absolute truth, then there is no point in believing any of it. It is 100% truth. We must believe that it is absolutely true. See, these are, the, these are the subtle undertones in our modern, postmodern, actually. I don't know why it's postmodern. I still feel pretty modern today, but we're in postmodern culture right now. That our postmodern culture tries to do to, to deteriorate, to try and break down 
the ability or the supremacy of God. And they try and bring God down to a level that's equal with men. Can I just say this as the people of God, if we claim to be his church, his kids, or however you want to define yourself. Some people are like, well, I don't want to call myself a Christian. I'm just a follower of Christ. Whatever that means, however you describe and define yourself. If you would consider yourself the people of God, then I must challenge you, and you must understand this fully and completely. You and God are not equals. You and God are not on the same level. You and God are not in the same place. You and God are not on the same strategy. It's like if I stepped on the basketball court with Michael Jordan. Now, we can talk about how all men are created equal, all we want, but let's just be sure that Michael Jordan is going to beat me in basketball. That's just the way it is. Some of you guys are like, who's Michael Jordan? Okay, if I did it with LeBron James. Okay, that's, that, does that work better for you? But if you, if you, we might all be created equal, but I'm, I'm not on the same level that he's at. And can I tell you, surely and completely, if you consider yourself a child of God, you're not on the same level as he is. You don't, you don't exercise the same knowledge. You don't have the same ability. You don't have the same supremacy. He is supreme, and we are not on the same level level. What happens when we, when we try and act like we're on the same level with God, uh, but we know that we're not, we actually isolate ourselves from God. You guys have seen the person uh, on the basketball court sitting there with his, his nice shoes and great shorts and cool looking tank top and you know, he's got the right look. He's, he's six foot seven and, and he'll talk all the trash in the world. I'm talking about John Fargo right now. But He'll talk all this, all this trash, and he'll talk, and he'll just be talking about how you're not that good. But, but he knows he's not as good as everybody else that's playing. So you'll never actually see him step onto the court. Okay, maybe for some of you skaters. It's the guy who's got the scuffed up board because he took it, and when he was walking along the street, he didn't want to look like a poser, so he took his board and scuffed it all up on the sidewalk just to make it look like he did stuff, and he goes to the skate park. But you look at his shoes, and you can tell by looking at his shoes that that guy has never skated a day in his life. Yet he sits there, he knows all the lingo, he talks all the talk, he acts the right way, and so you look at him, you know he's a poser, he knows he's a poser, but he tries to be on the same level with you, and he's not on the same level with you. This is how it is, and so he'll never step on a skateboard in front of you because he knows he's not on the same level with you. This is the exact same way it is with God. When we pretend and act and, 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 and try and build up this rep and try and act this certain way, like we're on the same level with God, like we're equal with God, th- then it actually isolates us from God. Now, I think if most of us were to really consider and really think about where we are, what we do, how we spend our times, we would come to the conclusion fairly easily that we are not on the same level with God. Yet we show up to church as if we're the second coming of Christ. We, we, we show up to church and, and we, we, we act the part, we look the part, we've got the right clothes on, we, we, we act like we're perfect and, and we'll sit in front of people and we'll be like, well, this is what I do and this is what I don't do and I, I would never do that. And, the, you know, if you want to be spiritual, you got to be like me and do devotions. And you get preachers who stand up in front of you and they say, well, man, I just, when I was doing my devotions and if you just do your devotions and God will speak to you like he speaks to me and we act as if like we're on some level with God. And we think that it makes us appear spiritual, but the reality is it actually isolates us from God. Because although we can talk the part, although we can act the part, we know we're not stepping on the court with God. And I think a lot of us know when we sit back and we step and we consider and we 
think about it, we understand that we're not on the same level with God. We, we can't do what he can do. We can't, we can't know what he knows. We can't love like he loves. Yet we put on a smile and act like we can. And we, we come to church and we tell all these people these lists of do's and don'ts and this is what I do and this is what I don't do. Can I just, can I just say this? Can I just throw this out there? Um, we don't care what you do and do not do. If I, as a pastor, come up here and give you a list of all the stuff that I do, so if you want to be spiritual, you got to do it like that, then fire me, please. We don't care what you do or don't do because guess what? We don't want to be like you. We desire to be like Jesus. So tell me, preacher, tell me, staff member, teach me about him. I'm not all that interested. I know you're cool and you got some wisdom and some knowledge, but I want to know about Jesus. I want to be like, that's, that's much better than you guys are responding. I'm just being, I'm just going to be open and honest with you right now. I know I'm not supposed to do like the do's and don'ts, but if I was in the audience right now, I would say amen. So you guys should say, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. I want to be like Jesus. Show me Jesus. When you go to your schools, don't act like the superficial Christian with your nice crossfire t-shirt on and act like you do all the things right and you never do anything wrong. Show them Jesus. When you go to work, show them Jesus. Let them see the Savior who changed and transformed your life. Show me Jesus. That's, that's all we're really all that interested in seeing. Because we know that we're not on the level, but we, we act like we are. We pretend like we are. We put the front up and we pose as if we're real spiritual, just like God is spiritual. Job, Job had no delusions. He was, not, he was not tricked in any way of thinking that he was on the same level as God. He was not, he, he was not like, well, I, I, I feel like God really owes me this. We're kind of equals, and, and God, I deserve this, and I get this, and I should have this. Job, was, Job didn't have any of those misconceptions or misunderstandings. But there was something that separated him, that he knew about. There was something that was different from God that put God on a different level than he was on. There was something about him that put him on a different level than God was on. And I think the thing that separates, first of all, the first thing that separates us is the holiness of God. The holiness of God is what puts God on the level that he's at. Now, I was, I was, in a, uh, I was listening to a, a guy preach this summer and I was listening to this guy preach, and he said, you know what? We're really good at talking about the grace. We're really good at talking about the goodness. We're really good at talking about the love of Jesus. But when's somebody going to talk about the righteousness of God? When is anybody going to point out and show the world that God is not only good, and he's not only graceful, but he's also righteous? Now, I understand where he was coming from. I kind of disagreed with his applications that he made after saying those statements. But I think that we need to understand something, that that God is in fact holy. Because although he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, Jesus is not just your homeboy, okay? Jesus is not just your buddy that you hang out with, that you kick it with, that that you don't have to do what they say if you don't really want to, and you don't have to hang out with them if you don't really want to. I think that we need to understand that he is the almighty creator of heaven and earth, and he deserves the respect that he's earned. That God is on a different level than we are. That there is a righteousness that God has that we do not have. And that puts him on a different level than we're on. That That there is a holiness about God that we don't have. And therefore it puts him on a different level 
than we're on. We're not, we're not equals with God. We, we, we can't do the same things that he can do. He's different. He's holy. The holiness of God puts him on a completely different level than we're at. Verse 34, I think. Can you bring that up just so I can make sure? Verse 34. Nope. 32. I know it's 32. Verse 32 said this. He, he, he's not immortal that I can take him to court. That's basically what he's saying. He's not just some guy that I can. You know why you can't sue God? You know why you can't blame God? You know why you can't accuse God? Because he's never made a mistake ever. And you can't sue somebody who's never done anything wrong. You can't accuse somebody who's never done anything wrong. You can't, you can't just bring all these accusations and, and point the finger at somebody who's never done anything wrong. He is the perfect Father. Now, my father was a good father, but he wasn't a perfect father. There were times when my, my dad said, you know what, if you clean your bedroom, I'll take you to Wonderland. And then I would clean my bedroom, and my dad wouldn't take me to Wonderland. Do you guys know what Wonderland is? It's go get to the nickel arcade. You, every arcade in there only cost a nickel. It was awesome. And then there was a Wonderland where you didn't have to even pay for any of the games. So that was the best, man. You just paid to get in, and then all the games were free. It was amazing. But my dad would say things. My, my dad actually, although he was a great dad, he, he had times in, in my life growing up where he, he, he got angry and he, he, he yelled and, and said things that he shouldn't have said. My dad was a good dad, but he wasn't a perfect dad. And if I wanted to, I could bring accusation against my father and say the reason that I'm so screwed up and the reason why, why I'm the way that I am is all your fault. You messed up in raising me. But we can't do that to God. We have, we have no uh, legal right to take him to court. And that's what he's saying. He's not just some guy. He's not just some buddy. It's not just like if he messes up, you, you just got all that. He doesn't mess up. And there's a holiness of God because he never makes a mistake because he is completely righteous. There is a different level than he's on than what we're on. His holiness puts him on a completely different plane than where we are. First uh, Samuel 2 verse 2. Maybe. Yeah. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no one beside you. You know what it's saying? It's saying that if God, if there's a line for me, nobody gets to go shoulder to shoulder with God. There is no one beside him. He is first. Everyone else follows. God is not on the same level as your friends and your buddies. You can't treat him the same way that you treat your parents. He is on his own level. Isaiah 40 verse 25 says this. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal? See, there is no one like God. His holiness puts him in a completely different level. His holiness puts him in a completely different place. He is not at the same level that we are. He's he's higher than we are. So that's what put God in his level. And then what puts us in our level, if the holiness of God puts him in his level, then it's the filthiness of man that puts us on our level. Point number two. There it is. That's how you spell filthiness. It's the filthiness of man that puts us on our level. Do you you notice what what Job said in, in verse 30? He said, even... If I wash myself with soap, 
Now, how many of you guys have ever, have ever uh, had a dish or something, uh, a spoon, a fork, some kind, some kind of utensil or dish that uh, you had put under your bed and maybe forgot that it was there? Or you had left in your office, if you have an office, I'm the only one here that does, so I'm probably the only one that does this. If you put it in your office and you forget about it in your office or, or you leave it in the trunk of your car, you have a dish that is dirty, that you ate food out of, that you leave somewhere and find it weeks later. Can I say something? Don't even worry about washing it. Just throw it out, okay? There's no point. There's no reason. And here's what Job says. He says, even, even if I wash, I'm not clean. Why? Why do I even try if I've already been declared guilty, if I've already been declared dirty, and even if I wash, I won't be clean, then what's the point? Why not just be thrown out? And that's how we act when stuff is dirty enough that we can no longer trust soap to clean it. If something is bad enough that when you clean it with soap, you still don't want to eat out of it, and there's dishes like that. You all know it's true. You've, you've washed the dishes at times. You all got dishwashers now. You never washed dishes before. You wash dishes and, and, and it's, you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is disgusting. This is, I, I'm going to wash it, but I'm never going to eat out of that thing. I'll let my brothers and sisters eat out of it, but I'm, I'm not going to eat out of that thing ever again. And then you find your brother pours you cereal in it the next day. It's really because your brother's a jerk like that. But that never happened to you just me. All right. Uh, but, there, but there's things in life where it's so dirty, it's so filthy that once it's even washed with soap, we don't trust it anymore. And that's what Job is saying. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm so filthy. God is so holy. I'm so filthy that even if I washed, I wouldn't be clean enough. And there's nothing that I could do that could make me clean enough. I think that we just, you know, we need to come to a conclusion today that, that, that we are filthy, dirty sinners. And that's just the way it is. I know, I know when we come to church, we dress the part, we act the part, we look the part, we show up in our, in our suit and tie. Actually, this is youth church. So we show up in our, in our V-neck and skinny jeans and we dress the part, we look the part, we act the part and we, we just pretend like we've got it all figured out and we've got it all together. But can, I, can we just get rid of all the delusions and all the, all the games and all the facades and all the charades? Can, we, can, I, can I just be honest with you? You're a filthy, dirty sinner. You know it, I know it, and now they know it. And you know what? I'm a filthy, dirty sinner. You know it, I know it, and now they know it. Can can we just realize that there ain't any person sitting next to you, that there ain't any person that grabs the microphone, that there isn't anybody who plays the guitar or bass or drums, there's nobody that attends this church and shows up and calls this church home that has got it all put together, has got it all figured out, has got all the answers. That person does not attend church here. Any person that you can look at to your left or your right, and you may have googly eyes and be in love with them, they are not perfect. Sometimes we show up to church and we, we got it all together. We know what we're doing. We know how to act. We know how to respond. We know when to say amen. Well, you guys don't know when to say amen. You guys really need, like, I need to have a full sermon on when to say amen. But, 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 but we know when to say amen. We know when to raise our hands. And we got the whole act together. But the reality is we're all filthy, dirty, rotten sinners. And we might as well just stop the charade because now everybody knows it. We're not going to trick anybody anymore. We're not going to fool anybody into thinking we're something great. We are just 
filthy, dirty sinners. And this is where Job is at. I mean, he realizes that him and God are not on the same level, that God is holy, that he is filthy. And he realizes, you know what? Me and God, we're not on the same level. If I washed with soap, it's not like he's just some mortal guy that if I got cleaned up, if I put on a nice suit and tie and I showed up to court and I convinced the judge that I was a good person, it's not like anybody else where I can just try and trick somebody into thinking I'm something I'm not. He's not a mere mortal that I could just take him to court and be upset. So where, where do you go? What do you do when you reach the point and you realize that you and God are not equals and you have a beef with God? You're just kind of irritated. You're kind of frustrated with what's happened and you want to go to somebody. Where do you turn to when it's your parents you're mad at and not your brothers and sisters? What do you do? Like when, you, when, you're, mad at, when you're mad at your brother, it's easy. You just go to mom. Or dad, I don't know if you were your mom's or your dad's favorite, but you go to whichever one that you're their favorite. And you, you, you convince them of the wrongness of your brother. What if it's your dad who considers you the favorite? What do you do? What do you do when you have a beef with somebody who's not on the same level with you? What do you do? And Job says, he says this, if only. He reaches a place where he's downcast, he's defeated, and he's despair. He says, if only, if only there were someone to mediate between us. Verse 34. If there was someone to bring us together. If only, if only there was somebody who could do that. If only there was somebody who could make it to where I didn't have to hang my head in shame and fear. If only there was somebody that could mediate and bring us together. See, he recognized they were on a completely different level because he says, I need someone who can bring us together. In 1 Samuel 2 and verse 25, maybe. Yeah. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Now, let me tell you what happened, what's happening at this point. Eli is the leader of the, the, the Jewish people. He's kind of the guy that they go to. He's the prophet, and they go to him. And his two pastor's kids are going nuts. They're just, they're, they act exactly the same way that Jet does. They're just crazy. They go nuts. They're disobedient. They don't listen. They cut in lines during camp. They're stealing from the offering. They're just, I mean, it's just, it's just typical pastor's kid stuff. And, and, and Eli goes to his two sons and he says, listen, you guys, it's one thing if you're sinning against men because then you can throw yourself on the mercy of your loving God and perhaps he'll do something for you. But what if you sin against God? Who's there to mediate when you mess with God? Who's there to stand in the way? Who's there to stand in the gap for you and God when, when, when you do something against God? When you do something against man, that's one thing. When you do something against God, what are you going to do? Who are you going to turn to? Where are you going to go? If, if only there was a mediator between God and man. If only there was someone who could bring us together. I have good news for you guys. There is such a man. There is such a mediator that will stand between God and man to bring them together. First Timothy See, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we find out that, that 
that the, the, in the Old Testament, there is no such person that can mediate between God and man. You just kind of are stuck. And, and, and in verse 35 of Job 9, he said, he said, as, as I now stand, I cannot. I cannot approach God without fear, without shame. As I now stand, I cannot. But then, in, in, so 1 Samuel, kind of a discouraging scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2, kind of a little more encouraging scripture. It says this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Do you know what the role of a mediator is? In a legal dispute, a mediator sits between the two parties and distinguishes and tries to get them to come to some sort of reason. When there is, when there is a problem that, that, that is unsolvable, a mediator will listen to both sides and he will try and convince both sides to find a common ground. Now, I'm a little irritated because the NBA season was supposed to start last night and they have not. It's very frustrating for me. I'm a huge NBA fan and uh, it, it's just annoying to me that billionaires and millionaires are fighting over money. I just think, grow up, okay? And I know that you, some people are like, well, you know, the players, they, 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 the, million, the billionaires can't make money without the players playing, so you should just pay the players. They do. And, and some people are like, well, the owners, they, they're the ones that front the money. They're the ones taking the risks. So the owners should just get the money. And they do. Okay, everybody's making money. Stop fighting. Okay, just, just come to an agreement and play some stinking basketball. That's all, as a fan... That's all I care about. I don't care if the players get 52% or 50%. I just want them to play basketball. That's all I care about. Do it for free. Make me happy. I don't care. Play basketball, okay? Start televising games in China. I don't care. Just let me watch my NBA stars play basketball. But what they did, because they couldn't seem to find an agreement together, is they, they hired a federal mediator to come and to sit through and listen to both sides of the argument and try and find a balance between these two sides and try and say, okay, what's the balance? What's the level? Where, where can we find a common ground here? And three days sitting with a federal mediator, they still could not figure out a common ground. And I'm a more frustrated NBA fan because of it. But they, they bring in a mediator for, for legal disputes, somebody who can listen to both sides and try and convince both sides to try and find common ground, try and figure it out. One time I, had a, I wrecked a car and the insurance brought in a mediator because they were offering me something and I said no and I'm not taking that little for the car and they're like well we don't think the car is worth as much as you want for the car so they brought in a mediator to try and find a common ground to try and find a way that the two sides that are diametrically opposed to each other can be brought together and I said in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man it has to be someone who can see both sides of the coin. It has to be somebody who can, who can look at it from both angles and can make a decision and can try and find a conclusion that would best solve the problem for both parties. And, and Jesus is the only one who is able to do this because he is both God and man. So he can represent both sides equally to try and find a common ground between them. But like no other mediator in history... Because whenever you bring in a mediator to try and find a resolution to a problem, a resolution to a disagreement, whenever you bring in somebody, you're having a fight with, with your best friend, and so you bring in somebody who's kind of equal friends with both of you to try and figure out what the answer is. And whenever you bring in a mediator, it, it really the mediator has no rooting interest in the outcome of the situation either way. 
If there is no outcome reached, like last week when they had the federal mediator, they didn't reach an outcome. You know what the mediator did? He went home and still collected his check for mediating. But like no other mediator in history, Jesus looked at both sides and in trying to find a balance and trying to find a way to equal these things out, he couldn't. Now, a lot of people would like to, and sometimes we represent the gospel in this way, that, that Jesus, the great mediator, has come, and so now God has now lowered his standards of righteousness. And we no longer need the same standard of righteousness to be and to live with God in eternity, to have eternal life. We don't need that same standard of righteousness anymore. God lowered his standard. In most cases with mediators, you want, you want whoever wants the most, you want them to, you want them to come down. And so, so in the situation, as, as Jesus is trying to find a conclusion, is trying to find an answer to these two, two differing viewpoints, he's trying to get maybe God to come down and us to give a little more. Maybe God can expect less and we can do a little more, but maybe try and find some kind of common ground. Sometimes we present the gospel and say, because Jesus came, because Jesus is the mediator, then God's righteous requirements dropped. Therefore, we are balanced. Other people make it seem like now that Jesus has come, and even the teachings of Jesus sometimes make it seem like what is expected from us now after the cross is harder than what is expected before the cross. Has anybody noticed this? That Jesus doesn't just like, hey, I, uh, I know that Moses said this, but you don't need to do that. Like when a guy came to him and they were talking about divorce, they said, Moses said we could get divorced. What do you, what do you think? And Jesus is like, no, you can't get divorced. You can't separate what God brought together. Oh, I was kind of hoping you, all the other mediators, they always try and make it a little easier on us. So that's not what happened. And sometimes it seems like, okay, and we present the gospel in this way, that God, that, that God still has the same righteous standards, but now that we have the Holy Spirit, we must now live up to the righteous standard. We must now live up to that standard, and, and that will balance the scale. Do you know what Jesus realized as he tried to find the, the solution for the diametrically opposed opinions of God and man to the holiness of God versus the filthiness of man. You know what Jesus discovered? That there was no way for God to lower his righteousness, to lower his holiness, and there was no way that man could ever live up and ever be good enough to raise it up to balance it. Since he could not find the balance, he became the balance. And no other mediator in history has done this. If you, if you hire a mediator and there's no conclusion, he walks away, goes to sleep better because he just got paid to do a job. But what Jesus did is said, there is no possible way for the righteousness of God, the holiness of God to be met and equaled with the filthiness of man. Therefore, the balance that is different, I'll pay. See, God did not lower, when, when Jesus died on the cross, God did not lower the admission price to heaven. Jesus just paid the admission for you. When, when, when Jesus came, it wasn't a matter of God saying, okay, now I expect less. I, I, I don't need less. My holiness no longer requires as much. It didn't become easier. It just means that Jesus paid the difference. What we could not pay, he did pay. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to end with this. Hebrews chapter 12, start in verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged to know that no further words would be spoken to them. That's, that's, that's kind of intense. 
If there's somebody that comes up and grabs the microphone in a voice that everybody in the audience is like, we don't want to hear him anymore. That voice is scary, you know. That's the kind of voice that was booming from this mountain. It says, we did not come to that mountain. Because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches this mountain, it must be stoned to death. Verse 21, the sight was so terrifying that Moses, Moses, the great leader, Moses, the friend of God, Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the, heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. His righteousness has not been limited. He still is the judge of all. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than Abel. Abel, I don't know if you know the story of Cain and Abel, so I'll tell you just really quick for those of you that don't. Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's two sons, his two boys. God gave them, gifted from God. Abel gives a sacrifice to God, and Cain gives a sacrifice to God, but it says that God looked on favor at Abel's offering, but on Cain's offering, he, didn't, he, he did not look with favor. And, and so, so Cain gets irritated. He, he's ticked off, and he premeditatedly calls his brother out to the field, knowing, I'm going to kill my brother. Calls him out to the field and, and slays his brother in the field, and then he's going back to, to do his thing and to take care of his stuff, and, and God walks up like a father does. Where, where, where's your brother? Cain says, I don't, I, what day is it? It's Wednesday, I don't watch him on Wednesday, okay? I'm not his babysitter. And God says, the, the, the blood, your brother's blood from the ground cries out to me. And the response of that blood that God had, we don't know what the blood said. It was, God doesn't give us like a translation, like, and here's what the blood says. But we know this, that after the blood cried out to God, he then cursed Cain, isolated him, separated him, and condemned him. That was the cry of the blood of Abel. Revenge. He killed me. Condemn him. But it says that we come to the sprinkled blood of our great mediator, Jesus, which cries out, better. You know what that word means? Better than the blood of Abel. See, because I think that, that, that what Jesus' blood says can be found as he's on the cross being slain for our sins. He's just been brutalized and tortured and put on a cross, treated as a thief, treated as, as somebody who'd done something wrong. Although in his entire life, because he was completely God and completely man, he, he had all the frailties, all the brokenness of men, and yet he never failed. Yet he was thrown up on the cross as, as some kind of awful, filthy sinner. And I think the blood of Jesus is much more easy for us to interpret because what Jesus cried out as his blood was spilled on the cross was, Father, forgive them. See, in Job's time, there was no way, there was no possibility of him ever looking up to God without fear and shame. He couldn't do it. He couldn't go to God. He couldn't address God. He couldn't say, God, 
life stinks. Why? He couldn't even say that because he knew that he was on one level. God was on a completely different level. But what Jesus did was he came and became the balance. He became the difference. He didn't try and get God to lower it and we raise it up. He just said, I'll take care of whatever the difference is. I'll pay it with my own blood. And his blood cries out. Even tonight, Father, forgive them. They didn't know. Father, forgive them. This is a much better message than the blood of Abel. This is the message that I've dedicated my life to preach. It's the, the blood of Jesus, which cries out to our Father, forgive them. Not that we ever did anything to earn it, but yet he became the filthy, dirty, rotten sinner that we were so that we could be the holiness. We could get up to the level of holiness with God. I think this is a good message. I think this is a good thing to get excited about. I think this is something that's worth telling people about. Churches so often are, are screaming the message of the blood of Abel. Sinners, evil. Yet the, the blood of Jesus, our great mediator, says, Father, forgive. Will we open our eyes and forgiveness to people and give them this message of our great mediator, Jesus. If only, if only there was someone who could mediate, who could bring us together, and Jesus did. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?